Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Uh, Hi everybody, welcome to this week's Scattered. We are looking at Acts 15 uh, verses 1 to 35. Uh, I'm Helen and I'm joined this afternoon by Jill and Mary. And uh, I'd like to say that you guys think we all take this very seriously, and we do, but Mary is currently making faces at me (laughs) on Zoom. Uh, Anyway, so I hope that everybody has read uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 35. Uh, This is kind of a big deal of a chapter in Acts. It kind of sets the scene for the rest of the book. I think, I feel like we've said that a few times, but uh, this is, this chapter is a really big deal. So, ladies... Uh, who were these men from Judea and why was what they were saying a problem? Jill. Um, well, it doesn't tell us directly that they were Pharisees, but um, I think probably they were people that really liked law and really liked rules. And the big deal was they were trying to say that unless you became Jewish as well as Christian, you weren't really saved. And they were insisting on, uh, yeah, circumcision to be able to be saved. And it was a... I I love the understatement here. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, Because just there was so much at stake. If they'd bowed down to that and said, yeah, okay, then... Christianity would just have become a, a, a part of Judaism, wouldn't it? Like a reformed section of Judaism rather than something that was a whole new deal for the whole world. So, um, yeah, there was a lot at stake. And it, they were saying it's not enough. What Jesus did wasn't enough. You, you've got to believe in Jesus and do something else. And that's undermines the whole gospel message, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mary? I was just going to say, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I kind of feel for them in a way, because these Jews had followed the law for like thousands, thousands of years, hundreds of years, thousands, hundreds. Um, And it just must have been really hard for them to suddenly be like, okay, it's, it's all by, it's all by faith. Like, I do feel like it must have been really like I don't think we probably as uh, 21st century Christians understand how hard it was for the Jews to to accept the fact that the law you couldn't stand on the law anymore you it was about faith in Jesus it must have been really hard it's humbling isn't it to receive salvation from the hand of another not from your own efforts and we don't like that in some ways, do we? Because our pride wants it to be about what I've done. And so, yeah. but then the freedom that comes from it not being about our flawed, rubbish, best efforts is amazing, isn't it? So I think mm-hmm. for the Jews that really saw the beautiful truth of Jesus has done it all and I don't need to strive in that same way anymore, then you you want that freedom for everybody, don't you? But I guess there's a humbling that comes with that of I'm not good enough, which maybe is hard. It's hard for all of us, isn't it? Mm, yeah, definitely. 
So Paul and Barnabas try to sort it out uh, between all of them. It doesn't work out. And so everybody goes up to Jerusalem to the other apostles and the elders to have it out. You know, where is the young church? Where are we going to set our stall on? Uh, where, what is our decision going to be? And um, when they're up at Jerusalem, they have three sets of people give their, their viewpoints. Well, at least three, three sets of people are recorded here. There may well have been more people that spoke. We won't really look at Paul and Barnabas because I think we can just assume that they're going to say you don't need to be circumcised <laughs> before becoming a Christian because mm-hmm. their entire uh, missionary work has been based on the presumption that you don't. But uh, what about Peter? Uh, what does Peter say and why why does he say what he says? Yeah, I really love what Peter says. I got a bit um, uh, emotional about it because I'm kind of thinking this is Peter on such an amazing journey, isn't it? Like this is Peter who denied Jesus and who, you know, Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, too. And now Peter's standing up and just preaching truth. He's, he's saying... Um, I like how he lays the emphasis on what God, God's choice in this and what God is doing amongst the Gentiles and God who knows the heart. Um, he very much stands up and says, this isn't about our actions. This isn't about what we do. This is about God choosing a people for himself. Um, and he is doing this work. He purifies their hearts by faith. Like he just lays down the truth, doesn't he, um, in a really clear way. And I just think... It's, it's what it's what they needed um, and it's what we need to hear um, when we start erring towards kind of oh but I also can do this and oh can't I also do that and it's no it's 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 God's choice um, and it's a heart thing um, it's not it's not an actions thing um, obviously actions come out of that heart thing but um, it's first and foremost this heart change the other thing that really struck me about what Peter said was there's lots of times where he says it's the same for them as it is for us. You know, we, we both come to this the same way. It's faith for us and it's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and it's the same for them. Let's not lay a heavier burden on Gentile believers than we have. Mm. As and so many times he says them and us, it's the same. Mm. It's faith mm. and grace for all of us. Yeah. And I really love that bit in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. It's almost like the Gentiles being saved through grace is not in question. You know, Mm. it's the opposite way around to the way you would expect it. It's the Jews haven't been saved by the law. Why would the Gentiles have been, you know, and he's Mm. reminding them as well about Acts 10 and 11, isn't he? You know, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles in Acts 10 and 11 which indicated they were saved. So why then are we, he's almost saying why, I don't quite understand why we're revisiting this. Are we saying that in all these years ago in Acts 10 and 11, that all of a sudden they weren't saved? What are we, what are we saying here? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was a huge admission, wasn't it? In verse 10, when he says a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. Um, and that, you know, that's huge, isn't it, for him as a as a Jew himself, um, saying, you know, we we could not bear the burden of the law, um, and only Jesus could, uh, and therefore we must put our faith in Him. Um, just think, yeah, that you know, you can imagine uh, 
yeah sucker punch to to all you know to to everybody who's tried really hard all their lives to keep these law and are really kind of proud of that and go you know going and saying to people you need to do that too and he's like actually none of us can bear that burden it's too big in view of that I think we can praise God for grace (laughs) yeah yeah totally Great. So um, then we look at James. So these Judaizers, these Pharisees or whoever they were who came down uh, and started this issue in the first place, they claimed to have come from James and now James speaks. So what does James say and what, why does he say what he says? Um, I love the fact that, yeah, James wades in basically and says, well, let's look at our scriptures. Let's look at the Old Testament because even there in the scriptures, you see that this was going to happen and God's told us. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that was a really great precedent of we've heard the experience of Paul and Barnabas. We've heard Peter's what Peter's seen God do. And then James comes in and says, and this is in the scripture. So I find that a really helpful model for when we're trying to work out what's right. All those things are important, aren't they? What God's shown us, what we see God doing and what's in the scripture. Yeah, I love he he goes to Amos, doesn't he? And he there's this picture of um, it says, doesn't it? After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It's ruins. I will rebuild and I will restore it. Um, and I just love this this picture of this God who who's not given up on his remnant and he's not he's not given up on his people and he's going to do a work in his people. And then he's that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my life, my name. So he's like he's he's the Gentiles are coming in and they're going to be part of this rebuilding of the ruins. Um, and I just love that picture um, that that James has has taken and kind of is showing to the people, like, this is our God. Um, he's doing this. Like, they all would have probably known that scripture. Um, and then, you know, can, you can imagine kind of the penny dropping. Because um, it's not the only place, is it, in the, in the Old Testament where you see that God is a God who wants to bring the Gentiles in. Yeah, I think James is just really smart here, isn't he? Because like Jill said, you know, you've had the, this is what we've seen. This is what we've seen the Holy Spirit do. But even from the start of his speech where he uses Peter's Hebrew name, he calls him Simeon. uh, You know, he's just saying this, like you Jews, this is where our argument is coming from. We're coming from a place where you can understand. And I don't think there's anything in there that the Jews would have disagreed with. Um, and I, yeah, I just thought he was super smart and brilliant at using, like Jill said, like those scriptures to really hammer home. Yes, we've had this idea of this thing from what we've seen, but here is the evidence from the Bible. And this is going to be our, our jumping off point from now on. What do we think about, uh, this part in verses 20 and 21, uh, and what does it have? Do you think it has anything to speak to us about today or was it for just then or what do you guys think? I really wrestled with that when I read it because I was like, wait a minute, we've just really scored the goal that your heart sings about, that it's all about what Jesus has done. And then it feels like James is like, oh, but let me just slay in a few rules. But yeah, I think when I looked at it, I, I guess the important thing is these are once once we're saved by 
Jesus's grace, then there's that we can act in ways that are loving and kind to promote fellowship and tolerance between believers. And I guess that I think that's where I landed, that these things are all um, not laws, but things that you can do to enhance fellowship with between Jews and Gentiles. So I think James is saying so that we can be one family, so that we can love each other well. These are some things that would really assist and help Jews and Gentiles to live together, to eat together, to marry well. Um, mm. Yeah. So I, I think it's the difference between um, these are necessary for salvation or these are like table manners at the, yeah. at the family table. Mm. Mary, anything to add? No, um, I'd also read that they were things that kind of might have, they've come from kind of, if some of them have come from pagan kind of backgrounds, they would have been things that would, yeah, would have been really normal for them to, to do. Um, and, but yeah, like Jill said, it would have been helpful in kind of unity and fellowship with the, with the Jewish Christians. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think it's good, isn't it, to think about um, what things, um what things in kind of this day and age uh, we, you know, I guess we can put up as like boundaries that are, that then become unhelpful um, with other Christians. Um, I don't know how you thought this might apply, Jill, but um, like, are there things that we can do to help with fellowship with other people um, and things that are unhelpful, um, which we, yeah, I don't know what you thought about that. I guess alcohol, I think, is a big one, isn't it? Just mm-hmm. in certain places in America, um, alcohol's not a done thing if you're a Christian, whereas I think that's very different in the UK. So I, I think just working hard to understand other people's cultural norms is helpful, isn't it? And making choices that are for the sake of others rather than stamping our feet and saying, well, I'm free to do this which we are. Um, yeah, so I think the thing that struck me was alcohol and how we, um, whether we drink alcohol or not. But I guess I'm really interested to hear from you two in who live in different cultures. Where does the rubber hit the road culturally for you in your different situations? Yeah, same really, the alcohol issue and then also certain meat um, in the context that I work in. It's certain meat and I've had um, local Christians say to me, oh, but, you know, we don't do that, do we? And it's it's whether you want to pick that. You, you just have to be wise as to whether you want to pick that battle at that point um, or whether it will just become a stumbling block for that person. Um, so, yeah, we are definitely, yeah, have to battle with that. What about you, Helen? Yeah, so where I was in East Africa with the Karamajong, um, this was a really day a daily wrestle actually for quite a few of the sort of uh, lay church teachers. Uh, every Ramadan, there there was a mosque there, and every Ramadan, the um, uh, sorry, every Eid, sorry, the mosque would give away free meat, and uh, the Christians there would often take this meat and the lay readers were often scandalized like the the church teachers were scandalized by this um but most of the christians were okay or, or sorry 
most of the lay readers were actually happy to take it and some most of the Christians were okay to take it but when meat free meat was given out from the pagan sort of traditional animistic Karamajong sacrificial ceremonies when the free meat came from that nobody would touch it because for them the sort of uh the Muslims meat really wasn't an issue for their hearts or their minds whereas for them the massive stumbling block was the animistic sacrifice for the on behalf of the for the elders towards Akuj they could not bear it they felt like they were sullying themselves by eating that meat but not the stuff that came from Eid um, and I just thought that was a great picture of what's going on here you know like the the idolatry um that the Gentiles would have done the the um, not eating meat that had been strangled. The the Jews would have found that incredibly difficult. That would have really caused them a problem. Uh, yeah, and again, the Gentiles would have thought sexual, there's no such thing as sexual immorality as far as they're concerned. Everything's, everything's game. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, um, it is, isn't it, about helping a, a, um, a younger brother making sure that we're not a stumbling block because ultimately we need to remember because of grace Jesus declared all foods clean because of what happened Jesus declared them all clean however that Paul does also teach us doesn't he in the epistles that we have to avoid causing problems for others and so it's that sort of tension between we're helping each other grow in faith and faithfulness and making sure that our hearts and minds are directed in the right way but we're not attaching it to our salvation. Okay, so uh, there's this beautiful, beautiful letter is written. Uh, I just think it's it's just wonderful. Uh, I love that we still have it. Um, it's all about unity, about the decision that has been reached. Um, how, in fact, how is the letter delivered? Who takes it? Why is that important? And what's the response to the letter, I guess, is the question, really. Um, I was thinking about this and just thought how great it was that they sent people that had been there when it was written with it. Because, like, we know, don't we, how easy it is to misinterpret something that's written or to misunderstand it or to misunderstand the heart behind it. And so I just thought how wise to send people that had been at that council meeting, who'd been in those discussions to be able to read the letter and then answer any questions or say, oh, no, 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 they didn't mean that. Or this is about like, you know, the, the bit at the end about unity and tolerance. So, yeah, I just thought that's a great model when you can, isn't it, of writing something down so there's clarity, but then also sending a messenger with it to explain or answer questions or almost describe the heart behind the letter. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like you can see the love in the letter, can't you? Like we've heard that, you know, you these people were disturbing you, troubling your minds. And so we're doing this because we don't, you know, we love you. You are, we're, we're with you. Um, you're not less than us. You, you know, I just love that. Um, and at the end, you will do well to avoid these things. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's not, yeah, it's not kind of like do this. It's like, we think this is a good idea. Um <laughs> It's just, yeah, I think it's lovely, like a picture of the early church just coming together, um, Gentiles and Jews, uh, Christian Jews, and just loving each other. Um, and I, I think verse 28, it seemed good 
to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything uh, beyond the following requirements. And I just think like it doesn't say that super clearly in the bit before, but I think they were really listening to God in their decision. Um, and, you know, they they're open to his his movement and his direction. Yeah, and I think that that Holy Spirit comment's really important as well, isn't it? Because it's saying it's not just us that have decided that you can mm. join the club. It's God who's already said this, and now through this council has affirmed that, uh, you know, you are set free from the burden of the law in the same day, way that we are, and God has affirmed that. It's yeah, just... it's his authority, isn't it, uh, throughout this? Yeah, they're not kind of trying to be bosses yeah yeah I just love the way as well it ends in farewell it's almost like a we're setting you off into the ocean now of your your faith you've you've been set free and we are now releasing you to enjoy the position you now find yourself in mm. uh, I just love the way it finishes yeah okay. something, something I read sort of summarized the letter as it's celebrating grace and it's encouraging them to make sacrifices for others. And I just thought, yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? Like, let's really enjoy the grace that's ours, but let's use that to be a blessing to others rather than to cause them to stumble. Yeah. So what's your, what are you, what's your takeaway from this, Jill? What's the thing that's, um, that you've noted the most or that's challenged you the most? I think the thing that's challenged me most is just going back to the stuff right at the beginning about why this was a deal and how if we add to grace or we try and add to what Jesus did by our efforts, I've been really thinking about this week, that reduces our joy, doesn't it? And it mm. strips away our confidence and our assurance. And yeah, that's been the place I've landed really that, and I think the application for me this week has been, my bed has been very attractive this morning. It's been really cold in Manchester. And in the morning, I have not got up as early as I'm, I would have, you know, in an ideal world, I would have done to read my Bible. And I was chatting to a friend at St. Clement's this morning about our less than ideal Bible reading habits this week. And then after I'd put the phone down, I just thought, but praise God that he's, his love for me and my security in him doesn't rely on even the good things that I want to do, like Bible reading. And my joy in my salvation is not affected by the fact that the bed won a couple of mornings this week. And I just was challenged to go back to the friend and say, "That's isn't it great that that doesn't define us and that our salvation is because of what Jesus did, not what we do? And so, yeah, it's been really helpful for me just reflecting on, of course, it's good for me to read the Bible. And of course, that helps me and changes me but actually the joy that I have because it's all what Jesus did and not circumcision or whatever else we choose to add on is just a beautiful thing isn't it and my joy is at stake when I add other things into that yeah Mary um I think I most um I really loved what James said. Um, you probably got that from what I said before, but I really loved the the picture that he he 
described of these ruins um and i think like the obviously he's talking here about um the 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 ruins of the you know the israelite people and the way that god spared his remnant and he and he rebuilt and he restored it and he brought the gentiles in and i'm like the gentiles like that's me that's us um and we are part of this beautiful rebuilding that god is doing um to then bless the world um and I just love that picture. I love being reminded that we are the ones um, that God has chosen. Um, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he um, because he died, um, we get to be part of that chosen people. Um, so I just loved being reminded of that and how important and how central that is um, to the church at this time, like what God is doing then and what he's doing now. Yeah, and I'm not going to... Uh, say very much other than to say that uh, I reflected basically the same as Jill. Um, it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus and it's grace alone by faith alone. Uh, and that's pretty, pretty darn awesome uh, mm. that we are able to be, be forgiven. You know, yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter if you don't manage to get out of bed one or two mornings. It's OK. It's not going to crush you. Uh, I think maybe one uh, last comment I want to say, it's not a personal reflection, but more a reflection on uh, the church. I just, um, and leadership in general, I just thought it was maybe something that churches could lead, uh, could uh, learn from. It was just the way that there was a major issue, but people came together and they hashed it out and they took their time. There was no rush. They hashed mm. it out and then it was communicated and then, the community had an opportunity to to share and like you said uh, while we were chatting you know ask questions and just find out where the heart lay um I guess generally in leadership even outside the church it's sometimes hard isn't it to take um a decision from somebody who's higher up often I choose to uh, ascribe bad intentions rather than good but it is also helpful, isn't it, if leadership allow uh, congregants or uh, other team members to participate in part of that process and have have buy-in. I just thought that was the only other thing that I could think of that I was reflecting on. And mm-hmm. as I think about leading a team uh, in West Africa, how would I choose to deal with uh, conflict uh, in those situations, what's a biblical model for how to deal with conflict within your congregations or your teams? I thought this was just quite helpful. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.